My name is Pastor Josh. I'm the lead pastor of Church in the Rock here. Our mission is to help people, to help you connect to God, people, purpose, and hope. You know, the last couple of months we've been in a series studying the book of Ephesians line by line. And we're actually in chapter 5, but today because of the child dedication ceremony, we're jumping ahead a whole chapter just to talk about four short little verses that highlight the relationship between families, highlight the relationship between kids and parents. Would you please stand with me right now as we read our guiding scripture for today? I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Translation today. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord because this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we just praise you, God. Thank you, God, for the, the, the children on the stage and the families that just declared their intention to raise their children, God, in the best way they know possible. Thank you, God, for the extended family that stood and asserted that they would help and be supportive and encouragement to that goal. Thank you, God, for the church family that stood in unity today, God. Thank you, God, for parents that love you, that love their children, and have a passion and a determination to pass that faith on to our children. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take a seat? And as you do, would you turn to somebody and say, you look good today. Some of you need to hear that today. That's enough of that. You can do more of that later. Honor is a really, really weird word that's not really seen very much in our culture or very practically living out. Honor is probably, for the vast majority of our culture, has lost its true meaning or purpose. We very, very seldom see it. Maybe perhaps you see it when an elderly person or the head of a family walks in, you might surrender the comfortable seat or give them the head of the table. Maybe you might see at the store, you see a mother wrangling three kids, and you say, here, can I get the door for you? Or would you please just go first, go in the checkout lane? Maybe when a cop pulls you over, you honor them by using their title. Officer, I don't know, was I speeding? <laughs> I used to work at a courthouse for a couple of years, and you would hear the people come up and say and address the judge as your honor. But most often I'd say that we see it right now in our culture with the people that we idolize. Our celebrities and athletes and authors and speakers and influencers and YouTube stars, they get the preferential treatment, the stars in our eyes. We see these people as special and then we give them special attention. That is an idea of honor. Far more frequently, though, in our culture, instead of honor, we see acts of dishonor. One of my favorite movies growing up is Mulan. And in that movie, there's a little dragon voiced by Eddie Murphy. And in that movie, that dragon gets offended, and he goes into this rage, and he rant, and he goes, dishonor on you, dishonor on your family, dishonor on your cow. And honestly, we live in a culture that's kind of more geared towards that. Dishonor on your cow. What's wrong with you? I'm driving down the road. Somebody's slow in front of me. How dare you drive that slow? Dishonor on you. The person behind me, how dare you drive that fast? Dishonor on you. We live in a cancel you, bad review you, snooze you, silence you, block you if you don't agree with me culture. 
We live in a fence culture. If you do not text me back, and God forbid that I text you and I see those bubbles pop up, and you still don't text me, dishonor on your cow. More often than not, we have a dishonor society than an honor society. A culture that's bent towards offense and shame than honoring and building up. We live in a society that calls people out and they can easily be offended. Paul calls us to the opposite of this, though, to honor our father and mothers. And Paul, again, affirms this in Romans chapter 12, verses 10. He says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters Take the lead in honoring one another. In the ESV translation, it says, outdo one another in honor. But instead of a society that sees us outdoing this competition to honor and to build each other up, more often we see a culture that's in perpetual, a culture that's built on perpetual offense. Craig Rochelle says this. He says, if you are on a continuous search to be offended, you'll always find what you're looking for. How many know that's true, is that so often I, I want to have a soft heart and thick skin, but more often than not, it's the opposite. Thin skin, easily offendable, and a hard heart towards you, assuming the worst about you. Bob Goff, he is the uh, ambassador of Uganda, a Christian lawyer, author, and speaker. He lives his life by these three principles or three assumptions. When he encounters somebody that can be an offensive or a sticky situation, he tries to assume three things about them. I'd like to share those with you. He tries to assume that they, one, are smarter than me. Two, that they love Jesus more than me. And three, he tries to believe the least creepy explanation about them, why they're acting that way. Why does that guy keep looking at me? Maybe he's, I don't know, maybe he's blind. I don't know. Why is he just looking this way? I don't know. The least creepy thing. Why is that person so offensive? I don't know. We're called to be people that honor people. And more than that, specifically, we're called to be people to honor our parents. What is honor? Honor in the, in the language here, the original language is the word timme. Can you say timme? Half of you said that. The rest of you, the other half, let's say that too. Timme. I heard it. This room, then that side. Good job. It means to value, to respect, to highly esteem, to treat as precious or valuable, to give weight to something. Respect is earned but honor is given. You must earn respect, but you must give honor. No matter how accomplished an actor or an athlete or judge, doctor, mother or father, you cannot demand, force or coerce honor from people. Honor is a status that must be bestowed on you from other people. And children, we're called to value, respect, highly esteemed, to treat as precious or valuable, to give weight, significance to our parents. Statistically speaking, I did some research. 100% of us in here at one time in our life have been children. Amen? Yes. And so this word is just not for the young kids next to you, left or right. This is for all of us. Because what's interesting on this commandment, to honor your father and mother, is there's no time stamp. Honor your father and mother until you're 18 and leave the house. No. Honor your father and and mother perpetually. And so all of us are children today remembering this call to be a people that lead and outdo each other in honor. Honor is the attitude in which you treat a person. Parents, 
Your parents may have been an unsafe place. I understand that this may be hard or difficult for you. Maybe you grew up in a house, instead of love, it, it was hurtful. Maybe you had parents that didn't support you and left you. Maybe the situation of your home life was even abusive. I can understand that this is hard, but in God's world, He puts the pressure, He puts the duty or the responsibility of honor on children. Not for who the parent is and what they do, but for their position. And you give honor, and that's how you treat them. The way, the attitude that you talk to them and think about them and speak about them to other people, it's guided by this principle of honor. There's very practical advice attached to this. Paul says, he says this, Honor your father and mother. It's the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and that you may have a long life in the end, land. How many people would say that if I was a little bit more honorable growing up, I might have had a few less whoopings growing up? Anybody out there? Tom, I know you're one of them. Yes. If I had just said yes, mom, or yes, dad, instead of rolling my eyes, maybe I wouldn't have been grounded so much. If I had done what I knew was expected of me, perhaps that relationship would have been stretched so thin. Respect is earned, but honor is given. Something has honor depending on the honor that you give it. The value you have for something is the value that you place on it. What value do you place on that relationship of your parents? What value do you place on people around you? Are we living in a perpetual thought and process and place of offense, ready, just waiting for the next person to offend me, to call cursings on them, to be mad at them? Are we living out of a place with this mindset of, I'm going to outdo you or going to lead the way in a culture of offense? I'm going to lead the way in showing and modeling and being an example of what it looks like to treat other with high esteem, to may honor It means to build up instead of tear down. It means to respect them, to treat it as precious or valuable, to treat it as uncommon, to treat it in a way that gives it value. It's so easy to take relationships and to undervalue them and make them common. There was a king named Solomon that said he was so rich and the realm was so rich that Silver became as common as dirt. It began to lose its value. The way that you treat the relationships around you, the people around you, will begin to either build them up in your mind or tear them down in your mind. And that will also influence your attitude towards them. As you build them up and give them that special preferential treatment, the idea of I'm bestowing honor on you, treating you with honor, it begins to hire their Put them in a higher status in your heart and your life. Are we people that call out honor in each other or look for the next opportunity to dishonor your cow? Respect is earned, but honor is given. I hope that we can walk out today and that we are people who reach out to each other, that take the lead, that outdo each other in honor, that we become a people, a culture, a community 
that models and leads what it looks like to honor each other. That was a word to the parents. And Paul begins this with three verses to the children. But then he ends with a word to the father and the parents. You know, according to a study conducted by Barna Research, students and young adults who were raised and faithfully participated in the church, 18 to 29-year-olds, almost two-thirds of them, 64%, have walked away from their faith. For perspective, that means if we have a youth ministry of 30 students, they consistently come to church, they serve at church, they're in the church, they go to campus, and they go to uh, camps and conferences, and then they graduate high school, statistically 19 of them will walk away from their faith. Not just the church, but they will walk away from their faith when they get between the ages of 18 and 29. But there's a small amount of those students that stay. An even smaller amount of those students that will be consistent. And because of their research, they've, been, they've received this title. About 10% of kids that are raised and participate in church receive this title as the resilient disciple. A resilient disciple is a student who has made a commitment to Jesus who they believe was, he believed that Jesus was crucified and raised to conquer sin and death. They are involved in their faith community beyond attendance and just Sunday worship services. They strongly affirm that the Bible is inspired by God and contains truth about the world. What struck me interesting, though, about this research is that there's a commonality of the resilient disciple the Barna Research Group did about a decade of studying these resilient disciple students. And why did they stay in the church? Why, what made them continue to push on when 64% of their peers walked away from their faith? And the common thing that they could find, the study concludes that the resilient disciple highly prioritizes their life of faith inside and outside of their place of worship. Ephesians 6, chapter 4, Father... I'm talking to all parents today. Don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Our children are looking to us to learn how to live and to deal with life. I was talking to a parent this week in our church. They have a, a, they have a wonderful marriage, a great testimony. They lead a lot of our marriage and family ministries. They have great kids. But she said something that was interesting to me. She said, I don't know why my kids love Jesus. We knew nothing about raising kids. We don't know what we're doing. And I love that kind of raw honesty. But I know this family. I know these people. I've walked with them for a long time. I was their kids' youth pastors. I know that they prioritize their faith, not just on Sunday morning. I know that they train their kids to know Jesus. They model it personally. And they show their kids what it looks like to prioritize their faith in and outside of Sunday morning. I often feel this tension in parenting, constantly pulling between the battle of behavior and trying to win my kid's heart. Constantly I feel this tug to, to just redirect their actions. But what I really want to do is win their trust and win their heart. Constantly, I want to say, don't talk to me like that. Don't yell like that. Don't put your feet on the table. Don't feed the dog with a spoon. Don't hit your sister. Don't, 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 don't. And if you're a grandparent or you work down in KOTR or you have students or you're a school teacher, you know that struggle of looking at the things that are, they're just doing instead of the reasons for why your kids are doing what they're doing. I don't want my kid just to not hit his sister when I'm around. I want him to think, 
why don't I want to hit my sister? Why would it hurt her? Why is, why, how should I handle conflict? Who is Jesus? How would he direct me to handle this? When I hurt her, does it help her feel loved or does it help her feel hurt and hated? I want to win my kids' hearts and get there and not just try to modify their behavior. Paul's affirming this. He says, don't just make your kids frustrated. Don't just, don't just make them angry, but instruct them and train them to know the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3, there's a father writing instructions to his children. It's an incredible little chapter, maybe 20 or 30 verses, and each one is just packed with wisdom. But there's one, two verses specifically that have stuck with me since I was a very, very young student. Verses three, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Resilient disciples highly prioritize their faith inside and outside of the place of worship. Pastor Joe talked about it a little bit ago, but parents, home is a place of education. Your home is a school of discipleship. Your home, you are trying to create an environment that can help your kids see and trust that they should, these are two verses are the things that they want to do with their life. Trust in the Lord with all their heart. Don't lean on their own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. These verses summarize this idea of trying to train your kids up in the Lord to trust him. Because your faith cannot be your kid's faith. You cannot be the only one. You can't believe God for them. You can't pray for them. You can't read your Bible for them. At some point, they must do that for themselves. And your job is to give them all the resources, all the tools, all the information necessary so they might make that decision one day for themselves. 64% of our students are walking away from their faith. But 10% of the ones that stay, the resilient disciples, are the ones that prioritize their faith inside and outside the dedicated places of worship, meaning that they started putting their faith in their daily lives. When they showed up on their campus to go to school, they were thinking of faith and how do I implement this into my life. When they went home and they start working, they were starting to think and run everything through this filter of how does my faith affect how I be a student, an employee, a brother, a sister, a son, and a daughter. You're trying to work and pass your faith on to your kids the best you can. And families, you're not too young to start, and you're not too old to start. You can begin this process right here and right now, wherever you're at. And this has nothing really to do with what I just said, but I just felt this strongly today, that some of you are doubting your ability to raise your children well. You see other families that look like they just have it so put together, you see people on Instagram that just say, here's the three ways and the, the toys and the, the quiet corner and the da-da-da-da-da. And you're like, I don't even have a corner that's uncluttered in my house. What am I supposed to do? Can I just encourage you that you are the right person to raise your children? God gave you your children. And you are the right person to lead them and to teach them and to educate them. Faith is the best thing the most important thing you could pass on to your children. 
Money and inheritance is nice. A room to themselves is a luxury. Sports, sports, extracurriculars are good. But if you can lay the groundwork to model and to display and to do instruct and to train your children to trust God, to seek God, to let God direct their lives, you have given them the best thing, the most important thing that you could impart to them. The balance is to keep that the best thing, the first thing, and not let good things come before that. You know, my mom's here today, and she hates that I just said this, and I'm calling her out. I'll be the first to say she wasn't a perfect parent. She didn't let me play as much PlayStation as I wanted. She cut bad friends out of my life. She didn't let me smoke cigarettes when all my other friends were doing that. But my mother, I have many, many memories of having family Bible time. It was my mother that forced me to get up and pray, even if I made those prayer times naps. It was my mother, I remember seeing through her door, her reading her Bible. She imparted lessons to me that directed me to, to put faith as a priority to my life. And she also forced me to go to church. And that's okay. That's good too. But she modeled it. She created our house to be a school of education to train us to pass on faith. And parents, it starts with you. You don't know what to do? You're hearing all this, like, that would be wonderful. Ben, you can start making your way forward. But I don't know where to go with this. What's the next steps? Parents, the first place that you could be is to just plug into a church or a faith community. Show up regularly. Live in community where you are known and you can begin to know people. Give generously and serve and fulfill the needs in your community. You do those four things and you'll begin to learn and have models and have other people around you that can help you in educating and growing your children. There are people in here that are single, older, never got married. They can train and model for your kids what it looks like to love Jesus and be single. There are people in here that got married late in life. They can model and teach your kids what it looks like to pursue somebody later into the years. There's people in here that got married very young, very quickly. There are people in here that have been through hard times and easy times. There are people in here that can help you with your specific thing. But you will never have access to that unless you take the intentionality to plug into that community. There's resources here, and most of them aren't connected to the stage. Most of the help and the encouragement that you need, the support you need to raise your children the best you can, is sitting right, left, and right of you. It's the relationships you build around. You can see the need in the person left of you, and you can help them. You have a need, and you can see the person right of you, and you can ask them. We used to do this thing at camp. We'd build a big wall, 12 feet tall, and we give all the kids, we take them up there, 20 of them, we put them in front of the wall, and we say, get over the wall. No, it's just a sheer face wall, 12 foot, get up. So they do pyramids, or they throw the littles kid up, and they would just do whatever they could to get up the wall. And eventually, they get one kid up, and as soon as you're able to get that one kid up, he can take his belt or a shoelace and drop it down, and then you pull the big kid up. And then that big kid reaches down and pulls another big kid, and he pulls them up. And then those two kids just start grabbing kids, and they start chucking them up the wall. And you have to have catchers to catch the little ones. They're flying. It's just a great time. 
But the illustration is that sometimes you're the person that needs help on the ground. Sometimes you're the person on top of the wall pulling them up. You never know where you're at. But jumping into a faith community or church is a great place to start.